Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans, and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Hello and welcome to Turner's Take Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Turner author of Turner's Take Newsletter. I'm also a broker here at StoneX in the Commodity Risk Management Department. Uh, we work with uh, end users and producers in grain and oil seeds, but also in the energy markets uh, and the dairy side too. If you have any questions about what we do here, whether it be futures and options, consulting, uh, structured products, uh, even the physical markets, just let me know. Happy to either uh, let you know what I do or point you in the right direction. Uh, you can give me a call here at 312-706-7610. Email is craig.turner at stonex.com. If you like the podcast, please go over onto iTunes. Give us a positive review. That's how a lot of people find us. Uh, if you want to check out the newsletter, you can go to turnerstake.com. But there are changes in 2023 for that. And we'll still have a weekly newsletter and a podcast you know, for anyone who can access it. But all the daily stuff... Um, and subsequent wrecks on the buy side and sell side are going to start going through our daily product, but we'll talk more about that as it gets released in early uh, in early January. Um, also, you know, it's uh, at, you know, happy holidays to everybody. Uh, you know, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, um, whatever you celebrate. I hope everyone's having a, a great time and spending time with family. Um, I know I will be. So, you know, the the next week in between Christmas and New Year's is usually very slow. Uh, you can always reach me by cell phone. Um, I'll be around, be around, hang out with the family. I'm having Christmas at my house this year. But uh, it is um, not going to be downtown in Chicago, though. So if you need me, give the office a call, roll to my cell phone. Uh, otherwise, I expect next week to be very quiet. Um, but again, I'm around for, everyone who, for anyone who, uh, who wants to talk. Um, that said... Uh, a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, we are getting into the travel season here, you know, especially for grain brokers. We do travel a lot um, before uh, before planting starts. So I will be at Can I'll be in Kansas City January 4th and 5th for FarmCon. That's the Kevin Van Trump Farm Direction conference that he puts on every year. So if you're there, let me know. Shoot me a note. Come by and say hello. Um, I'll put on the bow tie so people can recognize me. And uh, and yeah, so FarmCon, that's uh, January 4th and 5th. And then still setting some stuff up for February, but for sure I'm going to be a Commodity Classic. That's in Orlando this year. That's the probably the biggest uh, grain and oil seed farmer show in, you know, in the world every year. And that is March 9th through 11th. Uh, and that's going to be Orlando. I'll be there. And then on the on the food side, I'll be in Vegas. Uh, on I will be in Vegas later on in March um, at the uh, SIAL show. So if uh, you know if you're on the the buy side, food and beverage um, part of the industry, let me know and I can meet you out at Vegas. So that is my 
schedule for the uh, for probably the first quarter of the year, maybe, even, and I'll probably also be going up to Canada at some point, uh, most likely to the Brandon area in Manitoba, but those dates haven't been set yet. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's get into it here. Listen, it's an end of the year podcast. The markets are slow. There's not a whole lot going on over the next week. So this will be a kind of half update on what's going on, but also a little bit forward looking into the next quarter. So, you know, the stock market here, we're going to end the year you know, lower, uh, clearly. And, you know, interest rates are higher. You know, what 2023 looks like it's bringing is interest rates may creep up a little bit more. But, you know, we basically went from zero to 4% on the Fed funds rate during 2022, Canada, you know, kind of the same. And you've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of that around the world, especially like Bank of England and some other nations. EU even started to get into the act um, kind of halfway through. You know, and it looks like 2023 is going to be kind of more of, uh, instead of being so aggressive, raising rates, you know, for example, 75 basis points at a time, it's going to be a little bit more of a wait and see approach. Like, you know, now that we're up at these levels, does inflation start to cool? You know, where the, will the Fed and the Bank of Canada and the Bank of England have to, you know, maybe see what the reports come out and then make a decision if they want to go a quarter or 50 basis points higher? Maybe they let things settle for a couple of meetings to see how it, if inflation continues to come down. Because some of the inflation is food inflation. And listen, anyone in the ag markets realizes past couple of years, we've had some interesting shocks to the system, Right. You had a drought in South America, that didn't help. You had a drought in Canada and the Northern United States, that didn't help, um, right? So for so for the South America, that hurt corn and soybeans. And then this winter wheat in Argentina got hurt by drought again, because La Nina extended for so long. Um, last summer, not this past year in 22, but in 21, you know, we had definite issues in Canada with canola and spring wheat, among others, uh, and then, that also affected the northern part of the United States. So, you know, oats got thrown into flux and so did, you know, the spring wheat we produce here in the United States. And that was a big deal. And then, you know, Europe, you take, or should I say Ukraine and Russia? I mean, while that wasn't a drought, it really took out a lot of grain that is on the export market. So we've been dealing with kind of a two-year cycle now between South America, Canada, and the northern part of the United States and now the Black Sea. And a lot of these issues are starting to rectify themselves. You know, South America, especially Brazil, will have a good crop. And Argentina may or may not. You know, La Nina is ending. The thing is, you know, it's been slowly coming to an end. And the big question mark now is, does La Nina kind of end and go to a more neutral weather pattern? by January, or does it still linger into February and March? And that's gonna be critical for crop production down in South America, right? If La Nina is pretty much done by mid-January and the regular rains return, that can have a huge impact on yields in South America. But just by delaying it a month into February or you know, late February, early March even, you know, it's kind of, uh, too little, too late, right? And we all seen how that works uh, with different crops. So that's kind of a wild card. But once that happens, once that switches over, you know, we do go into more neutral, maybe even an El Nino, and that is generally very productive for crops. So, you know, eventually you get some pretty good crop years, which looks like I wouldn't be surprised if 
you know, North America had a pretty good crop year, even with the, the dryness here. But if the weather, major weather patterns change, then I don't, I don't think we get a 2012. I know a lot of people have been talking about it, how we were dry in 2011, and that's set up for a dry 2012 and actually the drought. But I don't think we were coming out of La Nina into a neutral El Nino weather period back then. Um, I'll double check myself, but I don't think that was the case. So, you know, odds are we do get we do get better weather. The thing is, eventually the better weather comes. And also, too, eventually the war in the Ukraine and Russia ends. You even have Putin now saying that they want to have a diplomatic solution. We'll see what Ukraine wants to do. I don't know. You'd think they wouldn't have a diplomatic solution also. But these things don't go on forever. Um, and eventually commodities revert back to the mean. So, I don't know. There's a couple of things going on here that I think we need to look forward to or just pay attention to in 2023 more than others. One, the macro economy is going to basically feed off of you know, interest rates and economic growth. Um, and, you know, the whole point of that, you know, kind of that tangent going into the commodity prices is eventually the inflation isn't going to be affected so much by high food costs like that does eventually come in. I don't know if food goes back and you know, animal protein goes back to the lows you know, before the pandemic, but certainly not going to be this high. I mean, I don't know if you've been to the supermarket lately. Like I host Christmas dinner and I wanted to get some kind of beef roast and boy, <laughs> wow, it's uh, it's something else uh, when you go to the supermarket and try and you know looking for, you know, steak or beef these days. We may have to switch up plans this year, but uh you know, and I don't think that's going to last forever again. I don't think we, I can understand the argument not going back to the old lows as there has been some real inflation, but is that real inflation 10, 15%? You know, I don't think it's a hundred percent. I don't think that, you know, which is what we saw in the seventies, right? I don't, so that's one thing. The other thing is the energy policy and energy costs are a big part of inflation too. And, you know, that remains to be seen if these energy prices stay high this doesn't have to do with some kind of um you know natural supply and demand shocks i mean some of this is really policy driven um at the government and even at the investment level so that'll be interesting to see how that comes in but the fed's got to fight that and the fed has and central banks have no control over you know basically policy that you know while good natured and maybe in the long run the best idea uh, in the short run, uh, you know, can create shortages um, and higher pr and higher prices, and maybe even, you know, maybe even. I mean, we'll see. I don't, hopefully, there are no shortages, but definitely higher prices. So, you know, the, the Fed can't do anything about that too. So, the only thing they can do is limit is find a way to to limit demand. And unfortunately, I mean, that means raising interest rates. Seems counterproductive. We have, you know, one side of the government raising interest rates in order to basically shut down demand to bring prices down. While on the other hand, like on the, you know, on the food side, they can't do anything about it because a lot of it is transitory, but on the energy side, you know, um, I mean, you can make the argument the rise in, in some of the energy prices, you know, has a direct result of, you know, government policy. So you have government policy in conflict with what the Fed is trying to do. So it's uh, it's interesting. We'll see how they go about it. But I do think that it 
by keeping interest rates a little bit more stable or only increasing them over a point, what the Fed is saying, 2023, that allows the business community um, and investment and companies to kind of get used to that situation. Hopefully things, you know, turn around, um, turn around in, in 2023. Some people are saying in a recession it's coming. I kind of think it already came. Like I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up being in recession from June, you know, from the late spring, early summer of this past year, and you know, start coming out of it uh, in spring of this year. So um, we'll see how that goes. You know, on, as far as the energy side is, you know, they're talking about price caps. Here's the thing with price caps. I'm just going to talk purely as an economist. Um, and that was, you know, I many, many moons ago, I, I did go to college. I, you know, I did study business when I was in grad school, actually. Had a little, had a minor in economics, and you know what? What an economic professor would say about price caps is all you do is create shortages, and with the reason being is, think about it this way: there's X amount of product, right, and there's Y amount of demand, right? I know half of you just fell asleep me saying that, but there's, you know, let's just say there's, you know, a hundred units of product, right? And there's 120 units of demand, and you know, so you and and when the price is let's say $100, right? And the thing is, like, if that price stays at $100 and you only have 100 units of supply, and yet the current demand is 120, you're just going to sell out immediately. So what happens? The price rises, right? So maybe instead of it costing $100, it goes to 120, 130. Now your supply stays the same, but the demand you know, will come down because people just won't want to pay that higher money, right? So, and then all of a sudden you hit an equilibrium. I mean, that's how it works, right? So, there's always, so when you have a shortage, you have two choices basically. Either you let the market fluctuate higher in order to ration that demand, all right? And that's how a lot of things work, especially these days. But if you start to set price caps, and let's say I have 100 you know, supply and I've got 120 people wanting to buy it and, you know, the price is 100. And let's say I'm like, oh, that's too expensive. I'm going to make the price. I'm capping at it at 80. So instead of having 120 people wanting to buy this stuff, I only have 100 of this, you know, of, of the product. Maybe it goes up to 150 because I just put the, I just, not only did I take the price of where we are now, I lowered it. So now I'm actually encouraging more people to come into the market who weren't there because, the current price was too high, but I still only have that 100 supply. So what happens is the price is lower, but I've created more demand and I go into a shortage. Think like 70 styles gas lines, you know, gasoline lines, only buying gas either on an even day or an odd day, depending on like your license plate number, whatever it may be. And we have shortages, right? So there's no good way to go about these things. I think, you know, from an academic perspective, you let the market rise and let it figure itself out because the market's going to be smarter than you know, any one person or any one group trying to fix prices at the end of the day. But uh, that never looks, but you know, the reality is that never looks great. And, you know, if, uh, and especially if you're in part, if you're, you know, some nations and the makeup of those nations are more free market than others. Um, and some are more managed and you're definitely, and you know, what's going on in Europe right now with price caps. I'm not surprised they're talking more about price caps. But the problem is you basically do two things. You, and you also, with the price cap, who's ever producing it, 
doesn't, you know, isn't interested in taking a pay cut, and they may even produce less if they, you know, if if they don't want to deal with uh, with price caps, um, and that just makes the shortage that much greater. So, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think by making the shortage that much greater, whatever crude oil or energy market doesn't have price caps, you know, you basically just get more demand flowing into those markets and that's higher. And now you have this strange dynamic where crude oil is 60 bucks in Europe and yet it could be $100 in the United States. Um, so it's, uh, we'll see how that works. Um, again, these situations don't come along very often. Um, so, and, and, you know, so what's interesting about that is that it kind of gives the academics and the economists, and which, by the way, all that data eventually funnels into the algo trading um, on how these things actually work in real life. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how it is. I'm not particularly um, fond of the solution. I do think we could have some higher energy prices because of it, uh, which is why I still like buying energy in June. I think you know, the June months are pretty liquid. Um, I've been buying call spreads, sell and put spreads. There's a lot of ways you can go about it with futures, future spreads, just straight up options instead of making a package. But um, I think uh, I think we could start turning around the economy in spring and summer. And then the most demand for the energy is going to be in that spring and summer. And considering crude is in the 70s, which seems to be kind of like a put level almost because you see OPEC talking about cutting cutting supplies when we get in the low 70s, and you see the Biden administration buying back for the strategic preserve, uh, petroleum reserve um, when you get to those prices too. So um, I see more, a lot more upside than downside uh, and look into those. And whether you're spec or you're hedging, uh, you have energy needs, there, I, think there, I think there are ways to kind of hedge yourself. I think there's definitely more risk to the upside then there's the downside at this point. Um, and feel free to reach out. We can talk about that. Um, everyone's situation is going to be a little bit different, whether you know, you're a farmer only using you know, 20, 30,000 gallons of fuel on the farm a year, whether you're an energy producer and, you know, it's, you know, or, or if uh, you're a manufacturer, right? Um, it's going to certainly be different. Or if you're just straight up specking, uh, let me know. We can find something that makes sense. On the grain and oil seed side, listen, Everyone's business in the grain and oil seed is better when it's bullish, when the markets are bullish and you have a bullish opinion. It's just the way it is. And it, it, it really creates an incentive throughout the industry, newsletter writers, podcasters, brokers, to be bullish, right? Because the farmer wants to be bullish. Um, and then on the buy side, you know, if the risk is to the upside, they're really concerned about controlling, you know, budgets and, and margins, right? Um, you know, when the market's weak and it's bearish, you know, you get less interest, right, or a need um, for financial services sometimes on the on the corporate side, um, if you're thinking prices are coming down. Um, and then on the farmer side, you know, they're bulls at heart. Like, they don't want to hear <laughs> that the that price has come down. And I can get it. But I got to tell you, like, when I look at the supply and demand, and the acres and the yield, and the fact that eventually you get a, a decent growing cycle, the grain that's eventually going to come back out of the, the the Black Sea, and you know just a shut, you know I don't know a flat economy, 
we'll you know we'll call it for right now. I don't know. I don't see why. I just don't see why grain and oil seed prices need to be this high in the long run. I think what we're seeing with corn being over six bucks is it's doing what's supposed to do. It's rationing demand, so we're not using too much. So when you have tight stocks, there are two, you know, and we have a saying: high prices cure high prices. And you know, what you have to realize is that means the market is priced high enough where you discourage probably exports first, right? And then second, domestic consumption. So corn is high priced and they're discouraging exports and the USDA is most likely going to reduce exports by a couple, I wouldn't be surprised if it was 100, 150. Worst case scenario by the end of the marketing year, 200 million if we keep, you know, if we're still at these prices. And all of a sudden we got a 1.5 billion carryout, which is the, the mark, the, the market's job is to do that, to get the carryout from 1.2 to about a 1.5 billion carryout. Like that's what the whole high price is there for. Like if you don't need it, don't buy it. And that's and then you got to take a look at new crop. And you know the high price of new crop, six dollar new crop corn exists to get. I would say probably at least 92 million acres of corn in the United States. I mean that's what we need at a 1.5 billion carryout. Which happens because of the high price in old crop and the ex and the rat demand rationing that that happens in the exports. And by the way, we produce 15 billion bushels of corn in, in the United States. Price rationing 200 million, right? Because of corn at 650 in old crop is not a toll order, right? It and it's happening, and we can see that happening now. Um, and then if we get 92 million acres and we switch from La Nina to a neutral style to, or maybe even get into El Nino and the, we do get a decent crop year, ending stocks are 2 billion come October, October, November. And the market's forward thinking it knows that. And you know now it could be, we could have another drought and I know things are dry in the West, Western part of the United States. I know things are dry in Canada. You know, things are dry in Argentina and southern Brazil, and that's just the Western Hemisphere, right? We're going to – and, you know, you look at the Eastern Hemisphere, you still got the Black Sea issue. But even with all those issues going on, Brazil could have record production. Weather still could change in Argentina, and same with the United States. There is a lot of wild cards. I can make the case for – I can easily make the case for $7 corn again and $8 corn if the weather – is still bad and we get an yet another complication with not enough moisture but eventually that changes so when i and also i take a look at the high input costs and you know when input costs were low and you got high prices you got a whole lot more wiggle room to kind of see how things play out but when you're paying this much for input costs right now in the grain and oil seed markets you do need to have some kind of protection there are a lot of farmers i know who did a lot of forward sales I get it. That's great. But you can't forward sell everything because you don't know what you're not going to have. So I do like buying short dated puts on new crop. You do not have to go all the way out to December. If we want to go to the, all the way to December, then I do like selling call spreads to take in a little premium. But if we don't want to do that and we just want the floor, then that's when I look into the short dated and you can use short dated in two ways you can look into the may and then you know by the end of april we know what the planted acres are we'll have a pretty good idea of u.s forecast and we know what that south american crop is 
And then you can really start making a guesstimate on where we think ending stocks are going to be by the end of the year and therefore where we think prices should range. Um, you can always go out to the July short date. It's those are pretty expensive. I probably go out to the May right now and then make a decision either to roll or see what happens uh, in the market. But the odds are like, if you just play the odds, the odds suggest lower prices. So, you know, that's not what everyone wants to hear. I understand that, but uh, not going to lie to you either. And honestly, it's not, it's better for business when everyone's bullish, but it's, uh, listen, there's going to be good years and there's going to be bad years. And I just think, you know, barring another weather event, we're going to have lower prices. So if you're undersold or you've sold only as much you're comfortable with and you want to figure out a way to protect yourself just in case, because if the weather in South America turns better and the weather patterns do you know, do get better and like these winter storms and we get a lot of spring rain um, and the weather is good for North America, you know, there's an argument to be made that, you know, corn eventually goes back down to five or lower, you know, over the next year. There's an argument to be made that soybeans are eventually sub 12, you know, and, you know, wheat is more in the sixes and sevens instead of, you know, seven, eight, nine range, um, even 10 with the spring wheat. And it's, you know, and by the way, you know, $5 corn and eleven fifty beans and six or $7 wheat historically is still relatively high, and but it's not as high as it is now. And it can certainly run into margins and, and eat into margins. So I think this year, you know, we always, when I enter the year, I think about two things. Are we managing risk or are we trying to maximize opportunity or is it a little of both? And I think for new crop, it's going to be more about managing risk because so much money is going into the input side and we're at high prices and the odds are the balance sheets get looser rather than tighter, right? For old crop, you know, if we are going to get a rally, you know, because of a weather scare, right? Because you get a lot of weather rallies that don't end up impacting the crop as, you know, it, it may be feared or it could because you do eventually get rain, right? And which is usually the thing and you get the run-ups and you don't want to miss out on those rallies. So in terms of the maximizing the opportunity, you know, if we want to focus on that, we want to buy some calls for the spring and summer, just in case we shoot up. I like that. But in terms of what's going on in new crop, I do think there needs to be, you know, sales made and maybe some, you know, some kind of put protection. Now, Personally, I think when we get the rallies, we should be, you know, putting in that put protection. Um, and then, you know, if we do, if we do get a big sell-off because South America, you know, goes well, maybe we do look into maybe just some old crop calls that are short dated, um, just in case we do, you know, we do go higher. But I think this year the, the, you know, the risk is to the downside. So if you need any help with that, let me know. Um, we're going to have to start, I think, getting aggressive with that, um, especially if, uh, if if the forecasts improve in Argentina, which could be around the corner. So my number here is 312-706-7610. Um, we do offer consulting services now. So if you're looking for um, help on managing, you know, sales and marketing, you know, and uh, someone to meet with you, you know, once or twice a month and keep it going, um, you know, keep track of things and help you with that. We're 
I'm doing that now. We're doing that now. I'm happy to talk to you about that too. And on the food and beverage side, and then also on the end user side, uh, that is part of our package for, uh, uh, you know, for buying inputs and, and managing them too. So again, feel free to contact me anytime. Clients, you should have my cell phone. So feel free to call me next week or text me. Probably be a little bit easier to reach me by cell uh, between that Christmas and New Year's period. I am working, but just kind of be around the house with the family. So have a great holiday period, everybody. Uh, I will talk to you next week. And uh, yeah, uh, stay safe, stay warm. All right. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniel Trading broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniel's Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others. Due to various factors, such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, and other factors, such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore, investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the risk disclosure accessed at www.danielstrading.com. Daniel's Trading is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter, or similar service. Daniel's Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.